journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Yep, that's me. I'm Adol Kazilski and excited to spend the next 45 minutes with you learning my favorite, learning some Torah. Because we go into the wisdom of God and we learn so much about our lives and so much about who we are and what is what God expects us. And thank you for joining me. If you'd like to join the chat, you'd like to ask a question, 34519 is the SMS number, 061-895-1019 is the telegram number. And I'm pretty excited because we are going to be starting the book, the not the book, we're still in the book, we're in the book of Genesis but we're starting a new Pasha, the Pasha of Toldot, okay? Um, and uh, this now we are going to be getting an insight into the life of our second patriarch and matriarch, Isaac and Rebecca, Yitzchak and Rivka. And of course, as we know, as we finished up last, uh, last, I think it was last week or the week before, last time we were together, we um, saw that Isaac and Rebecca, Yitzchak and Rivka got married and now we are going to start understanding how their lives unfold. We're going to do a couple of psukim today. If anybody would like to follow in, if you're sitting in the comfort of your home, please be my guest. Open up a chumash, open the five books of Moses. We're on chapter 25 of Genesis. Um, and we are going to be looking at verse 19. So chapter 25, verse 19 opens up with a very, very interesting comment and something that we need to, you know, think about a little bit. And this is the verse. Ve'ele toldot Yitzchak ben Abraham. These are the chronicles, these are the generations of Yitzchak, the son of Abraham. Abraham holid et Yitzchak. Abraham fathered Yitzchak. Now, nobody has to be a rocket scientist to go look at this verse and say, well, if we understand the, the adage that in the Torah, that the Torah doesn't waste even a minute on anything. Why repeat it? These are the chronicles. These are the generations of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Obviously, Abraham gave birth to Yitzhak. <coughs> Excuse me. So, obviously, the Torah is repeating this for a reason. Now, the first obvious reason, if everybody is following the story that and and the, the storyline that we've been learning for the last couple of uh, weeks, is we know that in Parshat Lech Lecha, that was two parashiot ago, um, there were gossipers that were saying that Sarah, Sarah, uh, Yitzhak's mother, um, was pregnant by Avimelech. And in order to refute the slander, God made Yitzchak's face precisely the same as that of Avraham. And so this is again, uh, the verse is coming to re-emphasize that, that Avraham hailed at Yitzchak, Avraham fathered Yitzchak, meaning that anybody who saw Yitzchak was instantly aware that Avraham was in fact his father. That is, so we, we basically take this verse and we correlate it back to the whole story with Sarah and Avimelech. But there's a much, much deeper um, explanation to this and something that as parents uh, we need to always ask ourselves and always think about it. And that is, is that can we sit down and say the same about our children 
as Yitzchok and Abraham, well, as Abraham could say about Yitzchok. By what do I mean? Basically, it says that when a man leaves a virtuous son who keeps Torah, it's very, very precious in God's eyes. And this is especially true when you're looking at a tzaddik, who is the son of a tzaddik. Okay? Um, what the Torah was coming to teach us over here is that there was continuity. There was a passing on of tradition from father to son. So these are the generations of Yitzchak, and we're going to be talking about his children and his grandchildren and moving you know, forward of what Yitzchak produced. Yitzchak, however, was the son of Abraham, and what Abraham gave birth to Yitzchak, meaning that, that here we see kind of like the goal that as parents we need to, to, to create, we need to see that it happens, um, and not all of us are fortunate at, at all times to go and say, well, my children have followed in my footsteps, and I have followed in the footsteps of my parents. You are passing on a virtuous tradition, and I'm, I'm underlining the word virtuous, is very, very difficult work. It's something that, that you need to think about and worry about every single day. Um, what am I doing to ensure that the progeny that I have given birth to, are they following in my steps and are, are my children, children, my grandchildren following in their steps and backwards? Due to us being in Golot, in, 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 in the diaspora, in Golot for so, so long, we unfortunately have strayed away from our uh, virtuous upbringing, if I can, if I can put it in those words. And many, many, many times we have not had the fortunate ability or fortunate circumstance to be born in a family that connected themselves to their grandfather and the great-grandfather all the way back to Abraham. And it takes a lot of strength, a lot of courage, and it's something that we've seen a lot um, in today's world that we have the concept of what's called the, the Baal Tshuva, the repentant one, the, 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 the person who looks and does not not embrace Judaism, but on the contrary goes back and embraces Judaism and starts the cycle all over again. Um, again, this is not a comment of judgment in any way whatsoever, but it is a comment on just looking at what it is that, that, that you're bringing to the party and the responsibility that we have as parents to take the tradition, the, 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 the Torah knowledge, the commitment to God and to family and to morality and to integrity um, and that which Abraham stood that he gave to Yitzchak and that Yitzchak mirrored exactly what Abraham was and so forth and so on and perpetuate that down our family tree. It's something that is, I, I don't think is given enough emphasis in today's world. Today's world is a, a world of be whoever you want, whenever you want, how you want, why you want. If you want to be like this, be like that. You want to be like something else, then, 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 then do that too. And um, whilst having freedom to express yourself individually and express yourself in a manner which is, um, which is productive for you, nonetheless, we are not, we are not just, you know, living on an island. We're not a man just all by ourselves on an island and our repercussions do not have 
um, oh, sorry, our actions don't have repercussions. They certainly do have repercussions. And one of the things that Judaism has taken very strongly is that we do pass on the tradition of our fathers and our forefathers um, onto our children and our grandchildren. And there is no greater nachas, there is no greater joy when one looks and sees that that uh, which we have is um, is passed on one to the other. So the Ele told Yitzchak ben Abraham, these are the generations of Abraham. Abraham gave birth to Yitzchak is actually telling us that there is Jewish continuity, something that we need to, uh, to, to, to be aware of. So very, very, very important and something that we really need to take cognizance of. And if it is something that needs to be questioned in our lives, well, there's no better time than now. It's never too late. Um, one can look and ask oneself that question and put in certain things to allow oneself to, 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 uh, to perpetuate that moving forward. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, welcome back and we are looking at the parasha of Toldot. We started with the first verse, that's verse 19 of chapter 25, talking about Jewish continuity, how so, so important it is. And just before I go on to the next idea, just to mention one other other idea, and that is the idea that um, one can actually look at Jewish continuity and see it from an, an incredibly miraculous viewpoint. Insofar as how many people on the planet today can go and say that they are keeping the same traditions, the same customs, the same uh, mode of behavior that they that their grandfathers a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, three thousand years ago actually um, have been kept. Not, I, I don't believe there is another, I don't believe there's another family, another family of, of, of beings, um, that, that are able to do, are able to say that. And so, it's, 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 not only is it an imperative, not only is it, uh, something that we need to do, um, but it's something miraculous and you can see how important it, it, it has been. Um, for, for, for parents to ensure that their children have a Jewish education, that their children are scholared in the ways of our forefathers. Very, very important. Right. If you have a comment on that, I'd love to hear from you. 34519, do you find it important? Um, do you think that it's trivial in today's time? Um, you know, what have you done to ensure that with your children? 34519 is the SMS number, 061-895-1019 is the telegram number. Verse 20, Vayihi Yitzchak ben Arvaim Shana Bekachto et Rivka, Bat Betuel Ha'arami, Mipadan Aram, Achot Lavan Ha'arami, Lo Leisha. The Torah is again emphasizing something that is uh, pretty obvious. Abraham was 40 years old. When he married Rivka, the daughter of the Tuel, the, Aram, the Arama, Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Lavan, the Aram, Aramean. I can't actually say it in English, the Arami. So the question is, why is the Torah telling us this? Well, by all intents and purposes, um, Yitzchak was very, very late. 
um, in marrying. We are told that in the Talmud, interestingly, and this is very, very con uh, contrary to modern day thinking, but something that the Torah um, does bring is that the, the ripe age for a man to get married is actually 18. That once a, a boy turns the age of 18, he should start looking around to settle down. Um, I think today it's tempered somewhat. And um, in certainly in observant circles, um, once the boy is hit 21, 22, 23, that is really when he settles down. The, the Talmud does go and say that he should get married at 18. Well, whether we're going to argue about the age of 18 or argue about the age of 20, 21, 23, 24, or you want to push it a little bit more in secular circles when they're 25 and 28 and 29 and 30, nevertheless, by all standards, Yitzchak was 40 years old, and even in modern times, that would be considered um, a late bloomer. Why did he get married so late? Well, we are told that when it, come, when it came to Yitzchak, he was in fact um, a very, very uh, scholarly person, um, and he was he wanted to continue his studies without being distracted of the responsibilities of a family. Because as you know, a married man um, gets married, then he has to be concerned with supporting his household, his children. And there's no time for sitting and just having pure, unadulterated time to learn Torah. Why did he wait until he was 40? Because we've got another adage in, the, in, in our teachings that it's taught that until a man is 40, he does not completely understand his master's teaching. So that was the first reason why he was, so to speak, a late, uh, a late, a late bloomer. That was the first reason. The second is is that Yitzchok wanted to marry only a member of his own family. And as we know, that he had to wait until Rivka was born. And that's why we are told about her lineage, that she was the daughter of his relative Betuel and the sister of Lavan, etc., etc., why? Because he did not, as we know from the story of Eliezer, did not want to marry a Canaanite, a Canaanite, um, and he did not want to to uh, to to marry anybody else except his family lineage. And so this is how everything panned out. The third reason why it talks about Rivka being the daughter of the Tuel and the sister of Lavan is to kind of emphasize in a nice way that in fact. Uh, she came from a wicked family. She was born in Aram Naharaim. People were very immoral there. Okay, and what? Why are they telling us all of that? To show us how saintly, what a what what an incredible saint Rivka was, because she did not conform to her surroundings. She in fact grew up to be a saint. Now we know that we spoke about this before that. According to many, many calculations, Rivka was only three years old when she married, but uh, we're told that she was extremely intelligent. She already uh, possessed the mind of an above-average adult. Um, and how do we work all of that? Because, look, if she was only three years old and she went down to the well, she had to be super perceptive to understand Eliezer's intentions, etc., etc. So... Besides her understanding Eliezer, she also recognized the degeneracy of her environment and she avoided learning from it and instead developed into a saint. If you go and look at the book of Shira Shirin, 
um, where they describe um, B'nai Israel um, as being a rose amongst the thorns, this too was an analogy for Rivka, that she in fact was the rose amongst all those horrible thorns of the family that she grew up in. And so what we see over here again is that um, her the, the, the description of the genealogy is there to teach us how virtuous in fact Rivka was. But in with all her tzitkus, with all her righteousness, we see again, just like Sarah, who was also her mother-in-law, who was also very righteous, that in fact she was infertile. She could not have children. This is not said in the verse itself, but by the very next verse, the implication is, is that she was struggling with infertility. Why? Because verse 21 says, by Yeta Yitzhak Hashem, God, I mean, Isaac pleaded with God, on behalf of his wife. Why? Ki akarahi, because she was sterile. And God granted his plea, and Rivka became pregnant. A very, very loaded verse. Okay? Um, the first question we need to ask ourselves is why did God not allow them to have children? It says she was as barren as a stone and was just as unlikely to have children as her mother-in-law. And we know the whole miraculous story with Sarah. What happened with Rivka? Well, four reasons are, giving, are given in the Midrash as to why God made her barren. The first is is um, a semantic that if, again, we go back to the previous parsha, um, and at, of Chaya Sarah, and you see that when Rivka departs from Rivka departs from uh, Betuel, they give her a blessing that her children, that she should have a nation of children, and she should, you know, um, give birth to many. Now, what God didn't want was that people would go and say, "Well, you see, the reason why she had so many children is because of the blessing." Of Lavan, so he couldn't have been that wicked. So, in order to ensure that that which was going to happen now was going to be miraculous, initially she was sterile, so the blessing given by her family did not come into fruition. But then you read the whole story now of Yitzchak and Rivka praying for a child, and then they have a child, which means that it was by divine providence that they had the child and not by the blessing received by Rivka's family. That's the first reason. The second reason is that God loves to hear the prayer of all people, particularly his tzaddikim, his saints, um, because that publicizes the efficacy of prayer, and therefore he gives them cause to pray so that he can fulfill their requests. That's the second um, idea given. The third is that one 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 might believe that one receives good in this world um, not because it's God's will, not because he's married. It's just a result of pure chance. And so what God does with those who have faith in him is that he wants to give them what they desire, but he wants them 
to pray for it. So one can see the correlation between I ask God and God gives. Exactly like what happened with Eliezer. We saw that Eliezer fulfilled that unbelievably. He went and he prayed to God before he went on his mission. He prayed to God when he arrived at his mission. He thanked God and prayed God to God again after his mission. One needs to recognize that all their blessings and everything that they have in their in their lives comes from God. It doesn't come from you because you have a PhD. It doesn't come from you because you were a clever investor. It doesn't come from you because you were eating healthily. Yes, you have to do all of these things and you have to function in a physical world. But ultimately, it's God's blessing um, that comes to you that allows you to to have benefit of 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 good and this is something that we've spoken many many times about something that it has been um reiterated now a lot during uh covid and that is is that one should show gratitude because everything that we do have the fact that we woke up this morning that we're breathing that we are listening to the radio right now that we are we functioned today. All of that comes as a gift from God, and one should show gratitude and be in a state of gratitude at all times over over it. Thirdly, if, um, the, um, fourthly, um, we know that uh, when again this was Pashad Lech Lecha, when Abraham is doing the Brit Ben Haptarim, when he's doing this whole covenant between the parts, and and God is showing him all the different exiles. We know that the Egyptian exile um, was to have begun as soon as Yitzhak was born. So what did God do? He caused the patriarchs and the matriarchs to be sterile, so to shorten this period of exile. Because from the time that Yitzhak was born until our fathers emigrated to Egypt was 190 years. Add then another 17 years that Yaakov lived there after they settled in Egypt. Um, we find then that the patriarchs themselves prevented 207 years of subjugation. And truly, true slavery could not begin until Yosef and all his brothers had died. Now, if the patriarchs had had normal ability to have children, this period of subjugation would have begun much earlier. But them not having children and schlepping out allowed us to have breathing space. Um, the other thing just to know, just in terms of chronological age, Yitzhak was 59 years old and Rivka was 23 years old um, when the verse comes to say that they were praying for children. Why 23? Well, when, we, when Rivka married Yitzhak, we know she was three years old. So until the age of 13, it was not certain that she was sterile because she was still a child. But then... She came into puberty, and they waited 10 years after she was 13. That's what the halakha uh, requires, that if somebody is suffering from infertility, um, one has to wait out 10 years before divorcing. Okay? Um, so that is, that is um, where we get to the age of 23. Now, one of the interesting things, it says here, um, um, he prayed on behalf of his wife, 
but literally it means he prayed opposite his wife, meaning that he stood in one one corner and um, Rivka stood in another and um, they prayed together. And the last question that we can before I want to tell you an incredible story is that Yitzchok obviously did not want to marry one of his maids as Abraham did in the case of Hagar. Why? Because he was considered a perfect sacrifice. He was sacrificed on Har Moriah, as we know, um, and he had reached an incredibly, incredibly high spiritual stature. And we are actually told that Yitzhak and Rivka went back to Har Hamoriah, and that's where uh, they, they prayed, and this is where Yitzhak pleaded, be merciful to me and grant me children and let them be from this saintly woman, Rivka. Um, and here, what we actually see is that when God does agree, He says, God grants His request. Now, that's something very, very interesting to ponder because why did God request, why did God answer the prayers of uh, Yitzchak as opposed to the prayers of Rivka? Generally, when a woman prays, um, because she prays with much more than, uh, much more feeling than a man, um, we, we know that her prayers get answered before a man's. So what actually happened here? Why did God, um, accept the prayers of Rivka, uh, of, sorry, of Yitzchak and not Rivka? Well, you're going to have to hang on for a little while. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And uh, we were pondering the question as to uh, why God went and uh, answered the prayer of Yitzchak and not of Rivka. Because generally we know that they, that the woman is, whose, whose prayers are answered. So I want to I want to share with you a, a very, very interesting story, um, that, that is quite fascinating. It's quite long, but it's a beautiful story from the Gomorrah. And then we will get back. And the story is going to prove that a woman's prayer is far greater than a man's. There was a, uh, a rabbi by the name of Abba Chilkia. He was uh, a first century, first century grandson of Koni Hamagel, who was, and he was also, Abba Chilkia was considered a very, very great uh, man in the times of the, the, the Talmud. And uh, in the steps of his father-in-law, Koni Hamagel, um, in times of drought, the sages would come to his house and ask him to pray. And he was so, so saintly that it would begin to rain even before they left their house. So one year, there was an extremely severe drought, and a number of sages came to his house asking him to pray for rain. Well, they came to the house, and uh, he wasn't at home, so they went to look for him in the field, and there they found him working. When they greeted him, however, not only did he not return the greeting, he didn't even look up at them. And the sages didn't have any choice. They, they, they were a bit slighted. They didn't know why he was being the way he was, but they remained in the field all day and they waited for him to complete his work. 
On the way home, Abba Chilkia did a number of strange things. Well, what were the strange things? First of all, he was very poor and he had to carry a load of wood home. So he placed the wood on one shoulder and his cloak on another. All the way home, he walked barefoot, but when he had to cross the stream, he put on his shoes, only to take them off again as soon as he was on the other side. And when he came to a place where there were brambles, there were, there were thorns, he lifted up his tunic and he placed it on the corners of his shoulder. The rabbis that were following him thought he was pretty strange. When he came home, his wife, beautifully made up, came out to greet him. He allowed his wife to enter the house first and then he followed her. And although the sages were accompanying him, he didn't show them any honor, nor did he invite them into the house. Knowing that he was not being rude, that in fact he was a good oak, as we would say, they followed him into the house on their own. What do they see? Well, sitting down with his wife and two sons, Abba didn't invite the other sages to join in a meal. As good manners would normally dictate, he just divided the bread into three portions, giving his older son and two to his younger son. And after the meal, he he turns around to his wife and he whispers, it seems that the sages of Israel have come to me because of the current drought. Let us go up onto the roof as if we as if we do not want to be involved and let us pray there. Perhaps it will be a time of divine favor and rain will come tonight. And let them not know um, that it was because of our prayers because they have not yet said a word to me about why they came. So off they went, they climbed the stairs to their flat roof. Abba Chalkir stood in one corner, his wife stood in another. They both prayed with great feeling. And before their prayers were complete, the skies filled with black clouds. But if you looked up at the sky, on the wife's side there were thick clouds, while on Abba Chalkir's side the sky was clear and full of stars without a single cloud of evidence. Abba Chalkir then came down and he said hello to the sages. He started greeting the sages, making them most welcome. And why are you here? He asked them. Master, they replied, you must know the greatest sages have sent us for you, to you to pray for rain because they know that your prayers are rapidly accepted. But look, even as we are speaking, it is beginning to rain. My, may God's name be blessed, says Abba Chalkir. He has had mercy on his world, and you do not need my prayers. To which the sages replied, You cannot fool us, Master, for there is little question in our minds that your prayers brought this rain. As soon as you left us, you must have prayed. May God reward you, and before we leave, we would like you to explain to us the reason of some of the weird things you did when we came to speak to you. Okay, said Abba Chalkia, speak. I will give you... I'll try to give you an answer. So the sages said, when we greeted you, why did you not return our greeting? Well, answered Abba Chalkia, I was working and being paid for the day. It was therefore forbidden for me to put down my work and speak to others even for a moment. This is just showing his incredible tithkas, his incredible righteousness. Well then, why did you carry wood on one shoulder and your cloak on another? Again, Rabbi Abba Chalkir replied, I borrowed the cloak to look decent when I walk amongst people. It was not given to me to use as a pad under my wood where it would become torn. Okay, then why did you go barefoot all the way home except when you crossed the stream? 
Well, on the road, I can see where I'm going. I do not have to wear out good shoes. But when I'm walking in the water, I must wear shoes since I could come to step on something harmful. So the rabbis asked, why did you lift up your tunic when you walked through the brambles? You should have left it down to protect your legs from the thorns. To which Abba replied, human flesh heals. Clothing does not. If I scratch my legs, they will heal. But if I tear my clothing, it will remain torn. Aha, said the rabbis. And why did your wife come out to greet you, all dressed up as if she, she was planned to go to a party? To which Abba Chalkeo answered, a man must be very careful not to look at a woman other than his wife, for such a glance can cause one to come to great harm. And since there are a number of families that live in our courtyard, I want my wife to look so beautiful that I only look at her. Then why did you and your wife go in first, leaving us standing outside? Why did you not give us the usual honor due to a guest by letting us go in first? Said, said Abba Chalkeah, I did not know you and therefore could not assume that you were virtuous. Therefore, I did not want my wife to remain alone with you in the house. This was also the reason I did not let you go in after her. All right, said the sages. And why did you not allow us to partake of your meal? Well, there was not enough for all of us. One should not invite others when he knows there is not enough. Because this is considered misinterpretation. Finally, there was two more questions that the rabbis asked. Why did you give a single portion to your older son and a double portion to your younger? Well, the older son is at home where he can eat as much as he wants. But the younger one is in the academy all day studying and he gets nothing to eat. And finally, they asked, we noticed that the sky only became cloudy on the side where your wife was standing. Why did the sky on your side remain clear? And Abba Chalkia replied, It was because of her charitable deeds. Because when a woman gives charity, it is on a higher level than those given by her husband. Because usually she's at home. When a poor man knocks at the door, he does not leave empty-handed. A man is at his business. The poor can easily gain access, cannot easily gain access to him. And if a poor man is hungry, the wife will give him a piece of bread, satisfying him immediately. Man will probably just give him money, and the poor must go to the trouble of buying bread himself. And sometimes he could die of hunger while seeking bread to buy, and then it's too late. My wife, continued Abba Chalkia, has another merit. I have terrible neighbors who committed all sorts of immoral acts, and I prayed that they die so that I should be rid of them. My wife, I ever prayed that they changed their ways. And this eventually brought them to repent and improve. And for all of these reasons, the clouds came on her side. A fascinating story. We're going to go for a break. When we get back, I'm going to dissect it just a wee bit. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I wish we had much more time to actually go through this entire story because there is so much to learn from this story. One, that one needs to know that when one works for another human being, that they are buying your time and it is not um, permissible for one to waste that time on personal matters or on other matters unless you have the permission of your employer. Another is the respect that you get from, uh, that you give to your wife um, and the importance of, of family life and how to make that a priority. But I told you this entire story. I, yes, I know long-winded because it just was so fascinating 
to go and see that coming back to what we were discussing, why was Yitzchak's prayer answered rather than Rivka's when a woman's prayer is usually answered first, as we saw by this story. So we know that Yitzchak was a saint, the child of a saint, whereas Rivka was a saint, but was the child of a wicked man. And so what we see over here that her prayer was not as readily answered as Yitzhak because he was the son of Abraham. That is the answer that the Midrash uh, gives. Um, and the fact is that, be it whether it was Yitzhak or Rivka, um, whose prayer was answered, her prayers were answered. And lo and behold, um, she, she, uh, she becomes pregnant with her two sons. Um, which will be another story that we are going to have to wait until next week, and a fascinating one, because um, for anybody who follows me on High FM, particularly on Thursdays when I speak to Howard Feldman, this entire discussion about the two sons of Yitzchak and Asaph have huge repercussions today in the world we are living with and the circumstances that are happening. But you're going to have to wait until next week, so until then, a Shavua Tov, have a fantastic, successful week ahead, and uh, I'll be back same time, same place, please God, next week.